One of the most important things you cling to as a pastor, and you always uh, celebrate when you're fortunate enough to be in that place, is when you belong to a congregation and help lead a congregation in which your presence may be not available at a certain time, and sometimes on very short notice, and that there are people ready to stand in the gap, ready to take over and do the things that you would have been trying to do had you been there. I feel so blessed by Cindy this morning, not only by Cindy, but also by Nick and by Chiv, and for the rest of the staff as they have filled in for me in my absence in many ways to the point where I don't know if I'm going to get my spot back. That concerns me a little. I'll try and work my way through that. It is good to know that you always are in good hands with people who love you and who care about you. I felt that for myself as I was in the hospital. You're humbled when you know that people are praying for you. And you know that people are often and willingly praying for you, even in the midst of your own ignorance. When you would not save yourself, they came to your rescue to pray for you. I can't tell you what that means to be part of a congregation that treats its pastor like one of its own, praying for them in constantly and the power that it brings you. And, of course, to be able to go to places like we have in this great part of the world, to hospitals that are surround us in so many different ways where your every need is met and many of which you did not even know when you arrived. And I'm thankful for that. I love to tell the story. In fact, I love to tell the stories. In fact, I believe that telling the story is the single most important thing we do as people. And as I was sitting last Sunday at this time in my... Uh, well, I wasn't sitting. I was laying down. Let's just be truthful. There was no getting up at that point for very much. I was just laying down there feeling sorry for myself. Then remembering you were in worship and kind of tuning in to whatever Nick might be doing. Yeah, it gave me a little bit of concern there, Nick. But uh, I heard you were very ably armed and able to throw Rachel under the bus often, and so I appreciate that. Every pastor who's going to be successful must know how to throw their spouse underneath the bus. And then they must know that they must go home and be thrown under the bus themselves in order to uh, use their spouses in the way that they have. I love to tell those stories. And I'm glad to hear that you heard Nick gladly as he told the story and his story in a unique and personable way. As I was lying there thinking about your worship and thinking about the music you were singing and the spirit within the church that you were enjoying I began thinking about the sermon series and where it was going to go and how we would make alterations of it. And then all of a sudden, God just began to speak into my heart, into my mind, a message that I had not planned to share as a part of this sermon series, but it just seemed like the thing to do. So that's what I'm going to do today. You know, it's real easy to make up your mind in a hospital bed what you need to do. After all, what else are you going to do, right? Sit there and ring that little red button. You know, you just punch it until somebody shows up. It's a wonderful thing. I've asked Sally to install one at the house She didn't smile, she didn't laugh, she didn't even respond. And she would tell you now, truthfully, you never did ask me to do that. Yeah, because I know what I would get. No button. So there's no need of installing one of those in your house. I'm glad that I don't have to push the button for every little won't, but once again, can arise. And for all of your benefit, so that you don't have to worry about me anymore, all that time you've been praying for me, thank you. Now switch that prayer over to others who need it and pour into them like you poured into me. I am well. I am ready to go. Yes, there are a couple of things that concern you. A man, me, a little bit. Physical strength. Hadn't been much for the last month, quite frankly. So that's a little waning. I went out with nature the last two days and built that up a little bit better. 
and I have arisen from that bed also, and I'm back with you this morning. And also, while I was doing all of that and thinking about uh, the things that would concern you, you know, you just hear that sweet, sweet voice of God that comes to you and says, let me pour myself into you. Let me make you whole. Let me give you what you always needed and what you always desired, even when you did not receive what I had offered you. Let me pour myself into you. And so I began to listen and to jot down points in my mind about the beautiful stories of the Scripture. Now I want you to know that this is a threefold exercise. One, I'm serious. I want you to know these stories. Whenever I'm through preaching them, I don't want you to be walking around out there unarmed in the flesh amidst mission opportunities and not have your own story clarified by the many stories of Scripture. One of the things that churches have to learn to do is to take what they have received and not just share it amongst themselves and for themselves, but to take it and pour it out into the world, even as Nick shared that he was working with the youth in regard to this morning when he was sharing in the fellowship hall. It's not enough for us to receive what God has given us and to hold it deep within our hearts for us and those who are most dear to us. That's good and it's important, but it's not enough. We must be able to take what we've received, fashion it around our lives, and then pour it out into the people that we run into day after day after day, everywhere. You say, well, we just can't talk about faith at our work. I don't care what rules they give you. Do it anyway. Be creative. Nobody can take God's word away from you unless you allow them to. And you never have to get fired because of it. Just use your brains that God has already given you. Don't run away from connecting the story of God in Jesus Christ and his people from your story and the way you've lived with God and what you have to pass on to add to the life story of someone else because somebody somewhere made a rule. My goodness, you break so many rules every day in your life. Don't let that be the one you keep. Just go with it. Let it out. Be yourself. There is no natural way to do it. There is just your way to do it. And your way to do it is all that anybody wants to hear anyway. So you need to know these stories. You need to talk about them with your children. And when you go home, you need to talk about them during that following week so that you can talk to your children about how the story you heard in church Sunday has been your story and how you hope it will become their story. So that when they become youth and they grow up, then people who come to be a youth pastor will brag about how far along your youth group is. What a wonderful word to hear from Nick as he lifted you up and praised you for who you are already in Jesus Christ. That is a great testimony for the church and a great testimony that people need to hear. And it's the same thing when we let it escape our lips and become shared with others. Now, today we want to start at the beginning stories. But first of all, I just have to tell you how much I love to tell a story. How much do you love to tell a story? There's a secret passage in a book written far, far away, long, long time ago. It's called a hymnal. Now, I know some of you are shaking about that. I understand that. You have sung from a hymnal in a long time. And you know other words you say, and they're good words. But every now and then, in the, even in the hymnal, you hear words like, I love to tell the story. 
of unseen things above. And sometimes, unless we're singing it, we forget to remember that many people have not seen the love of God in their world. It's not because God's love hasn't been around them. They just have not yet seen it. And it makes all the difference in the world when they can begin to see it. Unseen things of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Oh, my goodness, do people want to be loved. They all want to be loved. Of Jesus and his love, I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. Such a simple little line. How true it is for those in the church and how hungry are the people around you to know somebody to give a testimony to that reality in their life. And here's the good news about that. When you begin to satisfy how, to share how God has satisfied your life, the first thing they're not going to do is to say, do you really believe that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe in the Trinity? They're not going to ask you that either. You know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How can one thing be three and three things be one? That's not possible. Now, should you explain that to me theologically as the fathers have worked it out through all the world? Trust me, they're rarely going to ask you that question. Now, if they're about six years old or ten years old, somewhere in between that, a child may say, did you tell me that God made everything, the world and everything? And you'll say yes. And then they'll say this question, and your children will ask you this. Who made God? Who made God? Every year in another church where it was a practice for the pastor to come to be uh, for the inquisition before the fifth graders, they were able to write down all the questions they wanted to ask you, and you were supposed to answer them in 45 minutes. Always that was one of the first questions. And before I could get out of there, I was always asked to repeat it at least four or five more times. And so I would look them right in the eye and give them this very, very important answer. Where did God come from? God was already there. How can that be? I don't know. But who made God? Nobody. Ten minutes later. But who made God? Nobody. The first story in the scripture says, in the beginning, God created. And that's all it says. You can't explain that. All you can do is look into those little eyes. Even the little blonde-headed girl that's in my mind now when she was in the fifth grade. And she just kept sitting there looking at me. As soon as I would pause, she'd say, but who made God? And I would look at her again and I'd say, nobody made God. Get the story right. Nobody made God. God already was there. And she'd go, (sighs) and I would say, God is bigger than your questions. Just accept it. And don't worry about how everybody else chooses to explain it. Because nobody really knows the answer. Because God was not created. God was the creator. I'm coming back to that. Maybe not this week, but next week. That was supposed to be my first sermon. But in the scriptures, it tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, 
Then God said, and wow, did things begin to change. What a story that makes to tell your children. I love to tell the story, more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. Verse 2, same book, Methodist hymnal. I love to tell the story, it did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. A wonderful, wonderful story. We just read and sang wonderful, unbelievable things about God. And it is unbelievable. And it is a story that's more wonderful than all of our dreams. We just don't dream nearly as well as we should. And when we dream, we dream a lot smaller than God. Whose dream for us is more wonderful than anything that we would dream for ourselves. It's a story to be shared. It's an idea. Where did we come from, Grandpa? Grandma, how did we get here? How did this happen? How come whenever I'm sick, my body gets well? How does that happen? What happens if my body doesn't get well, Mama? What happens if I die? What is that like? I love to tell the stories. You need to know them. Because people are going to ask you about the stories. They're not going to ask you about the theology. They say that for the preacher because they know we don't know the answers. And it gives them great comfort to ask us those questions. How can three be made one? That's a bad Go read a book about the Trinity. You won't know much more than you did when you started, but do it. It'll be good for you in your spare time. God, humanity, and relationships. I'm leaving my hymnal here now, and I'm picking up this book. It's called the Bible. It's called the Scriptures that were given to God's people. And in this book, we learn about who God is and who we are as human beings, only creatures, the only creatures made in His image, and the relationships that God intends for us to have in the world, both with, between us and God and between each other and even between us and the creation that God has given us. We're told to be stewards of it. It's ours. It's all in that beginning story. In the, but the main thing it does in these stories, I don't want you to think God was just trying to give you a coloring book for your children when they were young. These stories in scriptures are the story of salvation. They're the story of God's plan when he created us in his image. They're the story that is meant to guide our lives, inform our lives, and redeem our lives. It is the story of why we need to be redeemed. It is, in short, the story of salvation. That's what the scriptures are. But the, and the stories are connected. They are linked together in a kind of logical and illogical way so that as we read them and put together, the story changes and shifts in character. What we know about God grows from this body of evidence that begins with God as our creator and us as not being creators, all the way down to when God redeems us completely, when Christ returns to this earth, and when he redeems not only us, but all creation. It is a story upon story that as we read them and know them, they are meant to blend together with some of the strengths in the very beginning, giving way to greater expressions of those same strengths as we get older and as we develop, and as the stories of Scripture begin to connect in ways as we put them together, that our ability to speak about God, 
doesn't come from quoting a book in verse so much as it comes about telling about the God who's revealed in the Scriptures in the way that human beings who never read the Scriptures can connect to them. That's why I love Disciple Bible Study. You're going to learn how to tell the story to other people just like you. You're going to hear about how they have fashioned the story for themselves around individual tables. You're going to hear about how we can take that message out into our community and impact our world. In other words, you're not going to be so ignorant about the Bible that you're afraid to speak the name of Jesus. And yet it's going to be so comfortable to you. It's going to be like telling a story about how you met your son-in-law one weekend to go make a quick trip about 250 miles away. No, was it that far? It was 250 miles for him. For me, it's only 150. And how I got to know my son-in-law better and create first with him. The first time I've ever been dove hunting in my life when it was 50 degrees. It's supposed to be 100 when you're hunting does, not 50. A story about how I was sitting out there in the rain because we drove so far, even though it was raining and it was 60 degrees and it was cold, I'm out there wrapped up in every piece of clothes I brought with me to try and stay warm because it's not dove season, but we're out there to have an experience. We drove that far to have an experience. And I thought I could talk him into being more sensible, but he's much younger and not nearly as wise as I am. So he was like, they might be flying now. They might be flying now. Okay, let's go. We almost got stuck a dozen times out in the middle of nowhere. Have you ever been to Vernon, Texas? That's the definition of nowhere, except for a small bucket of people. We had a great time, sort of. Uh, We know one another much better than we do now. Most of God's creatures are completely safe. Don't worry about those. You don't have to worry about that. After all, the story tells us they were made for us. The story in the salvation in the Old Testament, salvation are the words Yeshua and Yesha. Yesha and Yeshua. It's where the, the words that are used in the Old Testament to talk about the experience of salvation. In the New Testament, we talk about a word called soteria. It's what is written over and over about, about our salvation, the soteria, the soterion. The experience of knowing that we are saved. And you say, now why are you picking this? Is this the first place to start? Because of this. I don't want you to think the reading of the Bible is just about reading facts and figures. I want you to know that this book is about salvation. All of it. All of it. Some of it more clearly and some of it better than others. But it is never meant to be washed down and dwindled down to fit the Western philosophical mindset. It is an Eastern written book. It is about things far deeper than just simply logic. It is more important than everything being in a straight linear line and being able to understand. What does it mean to be saved? Well, it means when you die, you go to heaven. That's not what it says. It's not what it says in the book. It's a reality that Jesus told us about. But that wasn't why Jesus came to earth so we could go to heaven and not go to hell. Not really. No. You say, wait a minute, preacher. This is an evangelical church. We're in Texas. We're in the South. And salvation is about heaven. No, it's not. No, it's not. Not in the scriptures. Salvation is about the relationship you know with your creator as made possible through the death and your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and about the change in your life And the quality of your life that emerges from that relationship. That's what heaven is really about. 
Heaven is not about a place to go. Heaven begins on earth when we become so close to God that God's thoughts are our thoughts. When we become so interested in God that we want to be involved with God in his creation. It's not about a slip of paper that says, well, right here it says, 1973, you got saved. Well, why would that say that? Weren't you pretty old by then, Doug? Yeah, I was also married. And in some ways, getting married was a part of my salvation experience. It let, helped me to know more about salvation by leading Sally to the Lord. <laughs> I didn't want you to think that all of Doug wasted away in the hospital. Certainly, it was part of my salvation experience. Almost everything is a part of my salvation experience. For the time I was a little guy and been made to sit still in my salvation experience, when Daddy's big old hand would sneak up by my head when I was getting fidgety, it would go knock, knock. That was not, are you there? That knock, knock was quit it. And I understood the language clearly. I didn't know why that was part of my salvation. I didn't want it then, but it was. Salvation is about your involvement with God in your life and how you work out that relationship in a very deepening way. That's why we have small groups. That's why we teach disciple Bible studies. That's why we have women's retreats, men's retreats. It is one of the reasons we come together and worship. Now, we come to praise and glorify God, but we also come to learn a little bit. You can't get much of your learning in worship. Learning is experiential when you're in worship. It's about experiencing God's presence as we sing these wonderful pieces of music. It's about knowing that the story that has the story is becoming my story greater and greater and greater ways. It is about transforming our lives into the image of Christ. And it takes a lifetime. The reason this is a good place to begin with a big beginning story is because most Christians today think that the story was finished when they walked down the aisle and they got wet. Feel any different? Yeah, not too much though, right? You just got a little wet, right? Now, some people get really wet when they get baptized. I mean, you know, all the way down, come up from the heavens, they're soaked. Some people just get a little water on top of the head, you know. Some people get it poured over the head and the basin and wash all those sins away. We'll do it any way you want to do it. But the reality is that experience, as important as it is, is only a part of your salvation experience. It's not simply the moment when you figure out you were the one of the chosen and some other poor suckers aren't. I'm not a Calvinist. Never going to be a Calvinist. I got all kinds of reasons for not being a Calvinist. But that's another sermon. It's not over. After 30-something years of preaching the gospel and studying the book and passing on what's in the book, I was saved again this past week. I was saved again lying there in my hospital bed as reality came into my life of how much God wanted for me. Because you see, in the scriptures, when we talk about salvation, we're talking about deliverance. The foundational meaning, according to the Interpreter's Theological Dictionary, according to every other theology you'll read, is serious is that God's deliverance of those in situations of need from that which impedes their well-being is called salvation. Every time that God delivers 
those who are listening, from the situation of their need that is impeding their well-being, their wholeness, their shalom in the Old Testament, their relationship with God in the New Testament. Every time that happens, the experience of salvation is being renewed and deepened every time, resulting in a restoration to a greater sense of wholeness in living. Yes, it comes from the situation of the need of sin and evil and even death itself, or all anti-creational experiences that are part of earth. Every one of them causes us to have needs and causes us to need saving again. People want to talk about salvation as something they made a decision once upon a time in a hill far away, and they think that's it. And quite frankly, a lot of Christians live just that way. They make terrible church members, by the way. If you're one of them, then stop it right now. And when you come to this church, I want you to just quit it. I don't want you to talk about salvation as being something that happened, but as something that is happening. Happening. What does that look like? It can look like many, many things. I can tell you one of the things it can look like. It can look like yourself lying down and you just realize that sin has just wrapped itself around you. And you've been such a dummy. And so you say, I love to tell the story. It's pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story. For some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. And I could add a line to his song, and some of them have stopped experiencing it since a long, long time ago. How sad to boil salvation down, just down to a logical decision you make one moment in your life. But rather let us tell a story, even for those who know it best. Because they, in the song says, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song when I'm in heaven, it'll be this old, old story that I have loved so long. I have been delivered again. And if you think you've got a tough life, let me just make it clear to you. God stays busy taking care of this boy. Why? Because I am one of those persons who gets tangled up. A sin that keeps me from all that God wants me to have. You say, what are you confessing to, Pastor? Do we need to call the bishop? You can call him if you want. He might need to hear the sermon, but it's not going to change anything. I don't know. He's not out there, is he? I don't see him out there. Just checking, just making sure. For me, the sin was when I was small and young. I didn't want to be small. I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to be taller so I could play basketball. Then I wanted to be Stronger so I could hit the golf ball farther. I wanted to be able to strut a little better. Big people in those deep voices. It's like preachers with big, deep voices. I don't like them too much, you know. They're so pretty to listen to. And they're just so melodious when they sing the scripture. And then you got people like me. We just have voices. We've got what we got, right? You know, I thought if I ate more, I'd grow longer arms. Even when I go to have my pants taken up, they're always still too long. They're always too long. And if they're not too long, then my wife tells me they're too short. I can't help that. I don't have much longs and much arms. And when I come back in the next life, if I were coming back in the next life, I'd have longer arms and I'd be taller. 
and I'd be a star in basketball because I'd be so tall. Early dreams. So why don't you just eat yourself into oblivion and let sin just tangle you up so much that you start missing a lot of what you want. Wholeness, well-being, strength, and energy. A donut looks so good. It tastes so good. It's like an apple in the tree of the Garden of Evil. Eat one. No, why not eat three? Oh, let's just go ahead and have the cinnamon rolls with it. And how about some chicken fried steak to wash it all down? It's good. One of my first experiences in the hospital when they were telling me I was dying, uh, and my wife was sort of enjoying it. Uh, okay, not really. But it makes me feel better to think of it that way. She was going, are you listening? I know that's what she's saying because she'd make the dietitian repeat, you know. Is, is Diet Coke good for you? Well, you know, any liquid is good for your kidneys. It's good for your kidneys, but uh, I'd rather you drink water. No, Sally said, but is Diet Coke good for you? She wants her to say never drink another Diet Coke. She got around to it. She got the dietitian to say it, but by then I'd already forgotten it. I thought they were just mistaken, and I still believe they kind of were. But you know what? A lot of Diet Coke and a little bit of water is really bad for you. Isn't that the way it is with a lot of life? That a little bit of something's really not that bad for you. It's when it becomes a donut every morning or three or five that a donut's bad for you. You say, when's the last time you had a donut? I don't even remember. That's close to a sin. I almost broke down today, but I said, no, not on Sunday. Because if I ate a donut now, all of you would be following me around saying, you're eating a donut. You know, you're just like little Sally's in my life now. Watching. Don't do that. It's not funny now. Don't do that. Don't help her that way. I've already been delivered. I'm okay. You know, I'm so skinny now. I've bought three new roosters. One to ride to work on Monday to Friday. One to go on trips for hunting. You know, you get light enough, you can ride a rooster. You don't need a car anymore, right? Old joke a man told me a long ago when I said, man, I feel skinny today. He said, yeah, you look like you could ride a rooster. He was making fun of me. And then I was 70 pounds less than I was a couple of years back. I've warned you what happens if I get skinny. My wife thinks it's so funny. She won't think it's so funny about another 30 pounds. I'll run that woman ragged. <laughs> I'm pretty much right there right now. That's why I'm not. I should, I should quit. I've been preaching way long time. But here's the deal. The story of how God delivers me now, after 50 years of following Christ, is just as important as the day I walked down to the chancel, professed Christ, and was baptized. Don't let your salvation be about what happened a long time ago. There are sins that are entangling your life. For all the joy I've had in years past, I could have had more if I'd have been skinnier. If I'd just been a little less piggish, I would have been beating Gary in golf. 97% of the time. 
and still him beating me. And right now, he doesn't believe what I'm about to do to him. <laughs> Hear him chuckling? He believes he's got, he's got me. He thinks there's no way. He has never seen the other me. <laughs> In fact, my wife has only seen the other me when she gets out old, old pictures. And I did put her through a lot. I'm ashamed of that. I frightened her by going to the hospital by my own stupid willfulness year after year after year. I'm ashamed of that. There are many things in my life that I've had to repent of lately. But I have always needed to repent continually. And for all you saints who are sitting out here, if you don't know, you're just like me. See that chancel rail? There's a spot on it for you. You may not have a trouble with donuts, but I'll bet you've got a trouble with something. Something. I'll bet you do. Well, how do you know that, Doug? Because you're human and you're alive and you're willful and you're hard-headed. And because sin tangles us all up so easily. Even when we're as smart as your average 16-year-old who is so wise. They know so much. But look at it from the bright side. You are sitting amongst college-age adults, and they know so much more than you do. They really do know it all. Right. And if you think they're wise, look at this guy. He forgot, literally, more than you've even known yet. <laughs> Some of it can be recovered. And that's, that's probably a good thing, right, Tom? That's probably a good thing. You'll grow up and you'll be so wise one of these days. You'll be older than you are now. Don't get so bright that your salvation is over. Don't be a lazy Christian. Don't be someone who's settled for going to heaven. Because you know what? When you settled for going to heaven and you haven't talked about your soul seriously for a long time to God, it would be a shame to wake up in a new reality, standing in front of one you can only describe in unbelievable terms, and you were just sitting there going, wow, I'm here. And then to hear that one say, what's your name? And you say, Reagan. No, right? Logan, Logan right. You'd say Logan. You would hate to have to tell Jesus that name, though, right? You wouldn't want to have to tell Jesus your name, would you? Because you expect when you stand before Jesus, he's going to say, Hello, dude, you made it. I know all about you. What if the introduction starts off, Man, where have you been the last 40 years? Jesus said, I want my joy to become your joy. And I want your life to be filled. Don't accept crumbs for the life you have. Examine yourselves regularly and turn away from that which is entangling you. Because if you don't, you'll end up a big, fat, spiritual blob. 
who's missed a lot. You can do it physically, too, if you want to. That's pretty easy. You can throw away all the sweets and the fries when most of the people are looking and just eat like a normal human ought to, what they really want, and you can just melt away all that. But unless you start recognizing the sin that's so easily entangling in your own life, you're never going to melt that away. Life is a precious, precious gift. I'm looking so forward to driving you crazy, little by little. I believe 14 and 15 are going to be great years for this church. We're going to do things that some of you are not even thinking about yet, but I have been for months now. And now I'm beginning to get more of the energy to actually see it through past a thought. Some people are going to say, what happened to the preacher? He's acting weird. He sure is impatient. And I'm going to say, you asked for it. You got it. Less of me can mean more of me. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. And all those years of being too big, there still was a lot of me to go around sometimes. They thought I was a lot younger than I am. But something is welling up inside from a new, fresh experience of running into the arms of Jesus and being forgiven and prepared for a new way of expressing my reality in this earth. How about you? Where are you? Do you know Christ? If not, you came to the right place. Let us introduce you to a story about a man who is like none other. Do you know Christ? And yet your story has gotten so stale you didn't feel a need to be part of a church. Let us talk to you about this church. We're going to do it again at 2 o'clock today. You can come and join us. You can come anytime you want and talk to any of us here at the church about this church. And we'll offer a place for you to be among us, really among us, to share with us that old, old story. I love to tell it. I can hardly wait for next week when we're really going to talk about creation. If you love science and creations and evolution, don't miss it. If you love biblical faith and creation stories, don't miss it. If you know anybody that doesn't know which is which or how they can fit together, don't miss it. You say, preacher, you just promised things you can't deliver. I know, but I'm selling right now. <laughs> I'm selling next Sunday. If you need to respond to God, it's like with water. It runs out, these little bitty bottles. Your faith can run out, too, if you're carrying it around, a little bitty bottle of salvation, mostly just wet from what you got 30 years ago, 40 years ago. 50 years ago when you made a decision. That's not the Methodist way. Gracious God, these are your children. You know them better than I do. You know who needs to do what. You love them with a love that's more powerful than they've ever known. If they need to do something other than sing and worship, then let them do it this morning as we stand and sing together. For that's my prayer for them in Christ's name. Amen.